Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, we aren't talking to a performer, we aren't talking to a director, we aren't talking to a playwright or a composer. Instead, we are talking to the Hollywood Reporter's awards columnist and the host of the excellent Awards Shatter podcast, Scott Feinberg. Last Friday, Scott published an article entitled, How Do You Solve a Problem Like the Tonys?, in which he discussed a lot of the things that I have been talking about on Today on Broadway for months when it comes to the awards. He writes about the lack of communication for the American Theater Wing and the Broadway League on the Tonys front, what impact the Tonys would have on a Broadway shutdown for likely at least a year, and three options currently being considered for how to proceed with the awards. Now, I've been a fan of Scott's work, both written and podcasted, for many years, so it was really a treat to kind of geek out with him about the theater and the Tony Awards. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Scott Feinberg. So, last Friday, you published an article about the lack of any type of forward movement or even communication about the Tony Awards since Broadway and all of New York theater went on a shutdown in early to mid-March. In your reporting, Mm -hmm. did you get any sense, either official or or otherwise, as to why the American Theater Wing and the Broadway League have remained so quiet for so long? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that uh, there's any coordinated plan to just kind of be quiet and hope that it all goes away, but I think it's more a matter of uh, wishful thinking, you know, that, oh, maybe things are getting better. And then it turns out they're not as far as the pandemic, which is why we've seen the, the dates, the, the sort of projected dates yeah. of when theaters would reopen push back repeatedly. It wasn't like at one point they just decided we're going to push it to 2021. It's been very incremental. And I, from what I've understood from uh, folks pretty close to the decision-making process, it's more been a matter of well, let's not make a decision if if the situation could rapidly improve and then we're locked into something. So I think that uh, it's it's really like the rest of us been just trying to figure it out as, you know, these events unfold very quickly. Yeah, I, I and I totally understand that. And they're obviously in a much different situation than any of the other awards giving organizations. But mm-hmm. Almost all of those other awards giving organizations have had awards either virtually or just sent out a press release. Obviously, I don't think a press release is going to make sense for the Tony Awards, but there has to be a reason that the Lortels and the Obies and the Drama Desks and all of those things happened while the Tonys have remained quiet. Did you get a sense that it have to do with them hoping to tie the Tonys into some sort of CBS broadcast event when things are getting started again? Or did you get a sense as to what the thinking is was to hold off? And then, you know, I kind of feel like they were trying to do that and, and hoping, like you said, that, that things will come back. And then it just got away from them and they got, got out of hand that they waited so long. Yeah, I think that the the sort of feeling is that the Tonys are a tough sell to begin with to people who, you know, obviously it's a very small number of people who even see one Broadway show in a given year. And so to have a Tonys without any performance element um, would be rough television for people who haven't seen the shows. And that's again, going to be the vast majority of people. Plus there's no commercial value to the shows, obviously, because people aren't buying tickets right now. So I think that, Part of the consideration has, and there, you know, there are some producers who are saying, yeah, you know, let's hold off because 
um, you know, if we can wait till we can use the Tonys to sell our show, then it has some value for us. But I think talent are more the, you know, the ones who are con- concerned that they may be forgotten here because, you know, again, the example that to me, I, I keep coming back to is Danny Burstein, where guys sure. been nominated six times, never won, has had a hell of a rough year personally between his own health as a, someone who's had COVID as has his wife, who's also been diagnosed with ALS. And it's, it's like this crazy, terrible thing. And this is the year he was very likely going to win. And so to even delay the show and to let's say they choose the option of consolidating the 2019, 2020 season with the 2020, 2021 season, it just already disadvantages the people who came out absolutely early in the 2019, 2020 season like them, because by the time, um, you know, assuming that things can reopen in time for a year from when this most recent Tony should have been, uh, you know, Moulin Rouge is going to be almost two years old. Two year, yeah. I think it started performances in July of uh, 2019. Yeah. And then you throw in things like Tina and Jagged Little Pill um, that started mm-hmm. in the fall and we're still running, not to mention all of the plays and everything that were limited runs in the fall. Things like Slave Play that is, you know, very exactly. likely to have a ton of nominations. And we should mention, since you talked about Danny Burstein um, earlier this week, uh, and I don't know if you were involved with this at all, but The Hollywood Reporter published a, a column that he wrote uh, about his struggles with COVID-19 and obviously with everything that his wife, Rebecca Luker, is going through. Uh, as well. So that is yeah. a, a great read as well. It was very, very emotionally uh, um, grueling to read what he's, what he's dealing with. And that was, I did not have anything to do with that. I think that was coordinated by our former theater critic turned recently film critic, our uh, chief film critic, David Rooney, who mm-hmm. I believe has been um, the point of contact on that. But yeah, I mean, I feel for, uh, you know, you mentioned how this all contrasts with the Emmys and the Oscars, which are proceeding with plans for virtual ceremonies. And, you know, those guys are doing OK. They're the people. Most of the people who are, you know, associated with TV or film are either, you know, the, certainly t- they're, they're going to be OK financially. But when you sure. hear when you read that somebody even like Danny Burstein, who's to me, you know, one of the bigger names on Broadway, that he's yeah. barely making it, you know, and, and hope it, having to hope that it'll get voiceover work to keep paying the bills. It It is, it puts it into context that imagine what everybody else there, who's not a household name among Broadway people, uh, what they're going through. And, and so I can see both sides of this argument. I don't, you know, there, there's a publicist in our article who said, you know, look, we're all out of work. We, we would, you, we would like any kind of goodwill gesture, anything that shows that, you know, we're not forgotten. So I, I see that argument, but I also understand the producers who are saying, look, you know, uh, especially the ones who are vowing to to resume their shows when, when that becomes possible that, you know, to, to have a Tony's now, who does it benefit aside from, you know, it's a nice pat on the back, but wouldn't it ultimately be better? They're arguing, I think to have a show that runs even longer because people now care about it, having seen it on the Tony. So it's a it's a dilemma. I'm not in any way suggesting in my article that, you know, anyone's uh, doing anything wrong or or I think the, the worst, the only the only thing that anyone really, I think, could have done better is there should just be more communication exactly. um, yeah. from, you know, the, the wing and the and the league where 
Um, and there may be soon uh, because I think that this is going to have to come to a head at some point soon. Yeah, and uh, I, you don't have to take a stance on this. I have taken a stance on this uh, over the past few months. We've talked about this topic uh, a lot and had a publicist on to talk about it as well, who may or may not be the publicist that's in your article as, uh, as well. I don't know. <laughs> who'd you, I'm not going to confirm, but who did you have? I'm curious. Um, we had uh, a publicist named Lisa Goldberg, who is a personal oh, yeah, publicist. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So she came on to talk about this uh, very topic. But um, I, I think one of the things that you highlight in the article is this frustration. Um, I think you, you talk about a member of the nominating committee um, uh, talking about they just haven't heard anything. And I think that's what's the most frustrating from a fan perspective as well, because yeah. these are shows that are in many cases beloved and they have intense fan bases. And having no mm -hmm. communication is almost worse than saying, in fact, I, I it's definitely worse than saying we're gonna put the push the Tonys off until, you know, June of twenty twenty one or whenever if they do it later in the summer. But uh, that to me is is the big sticking point, even though I have other subsequent sticking points uh, as well. But sure, no, I, I think you're right. And, and you know, the thing that with the nominating committee is interesting because let's just mention that uh, the article says there's a couple of scenarios here. You can either yeah. do the Tonys basically now to make up for, you know, what, what basically should have happened in May or June. Um, and you have that nominating committee vote based on what they were able to see, which was not everything even that was right. open because they just didn't have time. or you combine the two seasons and, and have that same nominating committee pick from the two seasons. But the problem is that some of these people on the nominating committee, among other issues, some of them are quite old and are not willing to go back into theaters anytime soon because yeah, wow. they say that, you know, in the case of the person we quoted, you know, I, I love Broadway, but I'm not going to risk my life for it. And so, you're, you know, the, the nominating committee always ends up being smaller than the one that was announced because people, Sure. Uh, for one reason or another, right? They can't make some of the shows. So you're going to have a small group that's going to be even smaller. And yeah, it doesn't mean they can't still pick nominees that are worthy or whatever, but it just, it becomes a little crazy when, and also just as, as we were talking about earlier, you know, a lot of this stuff fades from memory. It's the reason why every year in a normal year, so many of the top contenders end up opening right at the very end mm -hmm. because that way they're fresh in the minds of voters. And let's talk about some of those other proposals that you mentioned are at least at the time of writing were the ones that I, if I'm reading correctly, the ones that are currently under consideration. You talked about that one doing some sort of virtual thing to wrap up the 2019 beginning of 2020 season. You also talked about something you've mentioned, the combining of what ostensibly was the first half of the 2019-2020 season into what will be, I guess, the second half of the 2020-2021 season since that 2020 part won't right. actually happen. And then the final one, which one that I would just throw my hands up and swear off the Broadway <laughs> League and the American <laughs> Theater Wing is just to scrap these Tonys altogether, which would be a disgrace as far as I'm concerned. So judging from your article, these are things that the League and the Wing are actually talking about or at least considering at this point to potentially do sometime or to make an announcement sometime in the presumably near future. That's certainly my understanding. It doesn't mean they won't come up with something <laughs> yeah. else that could happen, but uh, these I think are the, are the likeliest options. And um, you know, the interesting thing about option two of combining the seasons, um, which I note in the article is that I can't imagine that it's coincidental and look, it's possible, but I, I would be very surprised if it's coincidental that Scott Rudin moves the music man 
from October 15th, 2020, all the way to May 20th, 2021, which would actually, assuming there is this consolidated two seasons, keep it, that would push it into the 2021, mm-hmm. 2022 season, keeping it out of the way of West Side Story, which would now obviously be part of basically a 2019 to 2021 season. Yeah. So, um, it's it's just one indicator, but I think it's an interesting one. Why else would you open a show in May of 2021 after it's after you know when you could have just a few weeks, literally like three weeks earlier, been part of that season? So yeah, uh, th- that's one thing to think about. But just basically, um, as you say, it, it almost it, assuming theaters can reopen in the first or second quarter of 2021 it does in a way all add up to one full season because, uh, or just slightly more because we, we ended the 2019, 2020 season about 32 days. I'm trying to remember. I think it was something like yeah, that. And it was actually early, about two so. thirds. It was actually about two thirds of the shows that were planned to open. But like you said in there the article go. and here, it's like, there's such a rush at the end to meet that eligibility deadline. A lot of really highly anticipated things were left wanting to open. Yes. And, and even some that had just opened or were in previews, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, they, I think they, they, the people associated with those shows might have the most legitimate gripe about just having a, a Tony's for the 2019, 2020 season in a virtual format soon, because they're the ones that are essentially shortchanged. Not all of them are going to come back in a subsequent season. And, I, you know, it's not fair to them, but also look, there's, there is no perfect solution here. And in a way, yeah, exactly. I think that that would be the the one, the solution that would be harmful to the fewest number of people, which may be what they just have to look at. Yeah. My solution, not that you asked, but my solution has no, always I been, I uh, my solution has, has always been to do a virtual recognition of this past season now, but it is contingent on having some flexibility with CBS, which I think is a big player in this discussion, because we've we've heard for years now about how the Tonys are actually more or less uh, maybe a wash in terms of of advertising money um, and and might even might even lose money. And there's always been rumors about maybe CBS not renewing their their contract, although they did recently renew it for a number of more years. But my thought is if CBS was willing to do some sort of Broadway special when theaters were beginning to reopen, maybe that gives the wing and the league the opportunity to say, let's do a Tony's now. If CBS commits to in March or February or whatever, when we can get some performances, even if there's no audience, get some performances, get some some presenters and do it this way. That's my kind of have I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, that would be because they're they're gonna need to relaunch in some exactly. format. And so Whenever that can happen, I think that's a great idea. But again, getting a broadcast network to go along with something that doesn't financially benefit them, especially during uh, the middle of an advertising drought in the pandemic, might be difficult. But nonetheless, that's that's where we are. Well, and you know what the other thing is, and I, and I you know, I didn't really get into it in my piece, but um, the thing kind of hovering over all of this is Les Moonves, because as we know, he got me too mm-hmm. and kind of run out of town. And he nope, was the I'm not. Uh, in any way defending him, but the one one of the positive things about Les Moonves was apparently that he loved theater, and he was the guy running CBS who advocated as strongly as anyone for keeping it 
keeping the Tonys on their network. So now the, the, the question is, how much enthusiasm is there still at CBS to, to keep it around? And as you say, there, there is a, uh, at least the next, I don't remember how many years, but the next yeah, few years, three, four it, it years or something. Yeah. But this thing could end up on PBS in a few years if they don't, you know, if things don't work out, uh, um, in a way that, you know, I don't think they're going to take a loss on this show indefinitely. And I think a lot of theater practitioners and a lot of theater obsessives would be very happy to have it on CBS or on PBS because that would give them yeah. the opportunity to see everything. But I guarantee you that the producers and the investors would not be happy with that type of development. Right. Cause it's just, I, I don't know the exact figures, but it's gotta be a exponentially smaller audience and the yeah. whole model of the Tonys, I guess, is really, you know, how can we win over new people to come see these shows? And even as it is on CBS, the belief that I've always, uh, it's always been communicated to me is that the only real category winner that has any, mm -hmm. you know, true impact at the box office is best musical. So meanwhile, that's, that's leaves a lot of other categories that, that apparently don't move the needle at all. Yeah. It's, it, that's always the one that we hear about, it just, you know, even anecdotally about the best musical being the only one that really moves the needle in terms of ticket sales. But uh, also the performances themselves are yeah. just as good advertising as anything else. So that to me is why sure. I think having something like that, when you can have performances, even if it's socially distanced or without an audience, so that's under whatever capacity requirements, that makes sense to me. But again, you've got to have buy off from the network, but or buy in from the network. But one other thing that I want to talk about in your in your piece real quick is this idea that there are so many shows that were waiting and kind of still hanging. As you kind of reported on this this article, and you kind of mentioned it here, do you did you get a sense from anyone you talked about about what we're looking at in terms of when Broadway actually does return? What type of shows will be back? When they'll be back? How many will just kind of use this as an opportunity to close quietly? Did you get any sense of where producers were at this point? A little bit. Uh, I think it's it's still very much in flux because you know it all depends on how much. Sure. longer this thing runs on. So uh, in terms of when it reopens, look, I think the nonprofit plays will, the plays from nonprofit theaters will come back like a take me out, like a birthday candles. Um, most of the musicals, it would seem um, are in a position to come back. Some of, you know, I, one of the producers I spoke with for this piece was talking about just the logistics of the insurance, which you may well know mm -hmm. more about than I do, but the, that, um, for probably the last time ever, <laughs> some of these, these, uh, <laughs> productions had insurance that did that, that, uh, covered the unlikely event of a pandemic. I don't think that's going to be as easily attainable no. in the future, but that this would, you know, um, it's allowing them to, to keep things together for, for the time being. So I think that most musicals, it seems like, are the, are going to be back, but plays are going to be badly impacted. Yeah, and I think the the sense that I get from folks that I talk to is not only like you said, does it determine, does it matter when things are allowed to reopen, but that doesn't necessarily mean that shows are going to open as soon as you know the governor says, okay, you can have theater again. They they might wait until there's a little bit more confidence that an audience is willing to sit in a theater. With other people. So some of those shows uh, might be able to come back in the spring, but might wait till the fall. That's kind of the sense uh, that I'm getting with stuff. But 
it's going to be very interesting. That makes sense because, right, who's rushing back? Like, right. Even let's say they reopened uh, tomorrow. I don't know anybody that's looking to go sit in a packed Broadway theater, wait in line to go to the bathroom or the concession. Like, it's it's not an easy sell to the yeah. vast majority of people, even those of us who really love theater. It's I don't I don't want to go sit in that uh, situation. Yeah. Plus, the you know, who are the majority of people who go to Broadway? Well, from as I understand it, I've always understood it's out of town, you know, tourists, essentially, and people leaning on the older side. And those are two groups that are not going to be back in big numbers anytime soon. And even the percentage of people who live in the tri-state area, which I think is about 60%, um, they've seen most of these shows. So they're not going to go back to see repeat things when it could potentially right. kill them. Um, so that's all part of it. But um, you are the awards columnist for The Hollywood Reporter. So while I've got you here, I did want to talk a little bit about the Emmys. And as always, as we always kind of trumpet, there's a ton of theater-related folks nominated for categories large and small um, from things like, you know, Billy Porter and Brian Cox all the way down to like Jasmine Cephas Jones is nominated in one of the short yeah. form categories. Is there anything from these lists of, of nominees, whether that's in terms of the performances or the series or anything where you think that there could be a significant upset dark horse potential winner that nobody's really talking about at this point? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I think that the comedy categories are more ripe for big surprises than the dramas. Um, let's just note that, you know, the leading drama uh, series candidates, including for series, but down the road, down the line for acting as well, are pretty much associated with Ozark from Netflix and Succession from HBO. But then right. when you get into comedy, um, it's tough because you've got some wild cards. You've got, you know, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a past winner for comedy series, but it's up against the final season of Schitt's Creek, which yeah. did uh, got a ton of nominations, more than every prior season combined for that show. And, you know, the thing is, most people I know can't even find Pop TV, the network that it's on, <laughs> on their television, yeah. but they've caught up with it through Netflix, which was the exact same mechanism through which Breaking Bad, you know, managed to kind mm -hmm. of pick up Emmy steam midway and through the end of its run. So I think that in the comedy side, we could see some, some heavy Shits Creek uh, <laughs> showings, but I do think that, um, you know, speaking of Broadway, I think that somebody like Tony Shalhoub uh, is very likely to still be an acting winner for Maisel. Um, and I'm just thinking in terms of other Broadway folks who are, who are in the mix. I mean, Billy uh, Porter has won for this role before. Yeah, Billy, exactly, is defending defending winner there. And granted, there haven't been consecutive winners in that category for a decade, but I don't, you know, there's no obvious uh, slam dunk winner. You've got Jason Bateman for Ozark, but he's never won for acting. You've got two guys from Succession, Brian Cox, who is another guy who was on Broadway this season this, with yep. the Great Society, against Jeremy Strong, another Broadway guy. Um, and they, there's a chance they would cancel each other out. So who knows? Um, I think on the, on the actress in a drama side, you could see Laura Linney, a Broadway vet mm -hmm. do quite well. And, you know, she's, she's up against primarily Olivia Coleman for the crown, um, and the, uh, Olivia Coleman's predecessor for the crown won last year that was uh claire foy mm -hmm. so i mean there's it's actually a pretty competitive interesting year but yeah it is interesting also to see how many 
folks with Broadway experience are, are in the mix. Um, and, you know, that's always the case because uh, I guess less so now that there's less TV being shot in New York, even pre-pandemic. But it is, um, you know, it's nice to see that they are at least getting a chance to make some make some money on the side. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's not even just people like Hugh Jackman, who is a movie star, but also does theater. But people like Jeremy Pope, who had two Tony nominations yep. in a single year last year, making the transition uh, to to the, the small screen in Hollywood. And hopefully we don't lose him forever, which is I'm kind of afraid of any time. Yeah. Anytime something like this happens, which has happened with a number of the Hamilton folks, um, they go off and have right. success in TV and film and we never see him again. But hopefully, knocking on wood, that's not the case uh, with him or any of these other folks. Right. And, I, um, you know, I guess uh Titus Burgess you know there's there's yeah. there's there's a bunch of them and you just hope that they keep uh keep coming back i mean Kate Blanchett when's the last time she was on Broadway with the present um yeah it would have been the present yeah and i mean she's had some shows both in london and australia that i think people had rumored to be coming cuz she works with the uh i believe and i might i might be screwing this up so if it's true no one yell at me but i think she's worked with like the <laughs> sydney theater um i think she might be like an artistic director there so there's been shows that have been rumored about her coming to Broadway with, and they've never actually materialized. But uh, another one, another one of those A-listers uh, like Hugh Jackman, who always dabbles in theater one way or another, which is always fun. And yeah, to bring yeah. it back towards to the Broadway side of things, I've argued that it's those type of people that I think producers are probably going to have to beg and plead to come open shows to kind of get some of that excitement back for the Broadway season. Obviously we have Hugh Jackman with the music man. Um, but you know, folks like Neil Patrick Harris, um, or Josh Groban, or maybe even Sarah Bareilles or folks like, uh, like that, obviously the Broadway folks as well with Audrey McDonald. But I think a lot of those A-list stars who have either Broadway roots or Broadway ambitions, this would be the perfect time for someone like Scott Rudin or um, or Jeffrey Seller or Daryl Roth to figure out ways to get those people to open shows either in the spring or fall of 2021 to hopefully encourage folks who might otherwise be a little apprehensive to come to a theater to actually do it. Do you think, though, that how do you think that would go over amongst the rank and file on, you know, actors on I, Broadway, though, that who are who are the ones that are probably most financially in need of a of yeah. a return. I think you're absolutely right. And that is something to, to, to worry about. But if there's not people showing up in the audience in right. the first place, they're not getting paid. And I think, and I'm not talking about replacing, you know, the ensemble members with, you know, A-list stars, but I mean, people like Hugh right. Jackman are already going to lead and they'll, they'll push out Broadway folks who would be up for those roles. But there is, sure. like you said earlier with the Tonys, there is no perfect answer for any of this. Exactly. And it, exactly. it, it's 2020 and everything is upside down and and you got to make the best <laughs> of the of the bad situation. Absolutely. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting time to be covering theater. So I will I will look forward to your continuing coverage <laughs> and I'll chip in when I have something to say. I appreciate that. And I I, I think, as you know, uh, I've been a huge fan of, of your work and your podcast uh, for years. It's a go-to um, well, anytime there's a, a new episode. So we will make sure that everybody has all of that information so that they can keep up not only with the Tonys, but um, the the Emmys and the Oscars and everything else you cover. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I, I love that someone from The Hollywood Reporter is is keeping Broadway in the mix there, even though we know it doesn't necessarily move the financial meter that some of those other <laughs> things do. Uh, but it's important for us, and I appreciate it nonetheless. Well, thank you very much for the kind words and for having me. And uh, 
hopefully we'll we'll cross paths in a in a theater. I hope so. Soon. <laughs> so, so, well, soon, soon might be pushing it, but soon enough. Soon enough. Yeah. That, <laughs> sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Have a good rest of your day, All Scott. Right. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt, and you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. In the show notes and on BroadwayRadio.com, we will have all of Scott's social media information, as well as a link to his Awards Chatter podcast, his recent Tony Awards article, and the Danny Burstein first-person piece that we referenced in our chat as well. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks, of course, to the always insightful Scott Feinberg and the man without whom none of Broadway Radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks for listening, and remember, I want to go to Hollywood. Talkies. I mean pictures. And also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more. <laughs>